Good morning. It's really good to be with you guys every Sunday. I was sitting here thinking, uh, what a blessing to get to worship Jesus together in community. Um, one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given Ken and me is to plant us in this house 26 years ago. And I really mean that. We love, love, love this church, this body completely. We love you guys. It is a, an honor to get to worship with you. Um, I love worshiping Jesus on my own at home, but you know what? In Revelation, we're going to be doing it together. That's what, that's what we're told. We're going to be around the throne together, giving Jesus what he's worthy to receive. So we get to practice here first, every Sunday. It's so much fun. Um, before I launch into what the Lord gave me this morning, I want to give you a little testimony. Last Sunday, you know, Pastor Mitch shared a word on, well, for the last six, seven weeks, he's been teaching on surrender. It's been so good. It's actually been life-changing for our family, for Ken and me. Um, I, I told Ken, you know, I, I've, I've known that word to be surrendered. That's not new, right? But it, it was the rhema word of the Lord, the life-giving word of the Lord when Pastor Mitch started this series. And now it's like when you get a new car and everywhere you go around town, you see your car, right? Everybody else has it. You didn't see it until you bought your car. Well, that's how it's been with this whole thing on surrender is we're seeing it everywhere. Oh, we have to surrender in this. We have to surrender in that. This is what the Lord is doing. Okay, here's another opportunity to surrender in our parenting, in our marriage, at, in the church, at work, wherever. And it's like our eyes have been opened and we're seeing it everywhere. And it's, it's been beautiful. If you haven't listened to the last six, seven, eight weeks of Pastor Mitch's teaching, because um, you've been gone or whatever, I strongly encourage you to go find it on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever, you know, you like to stream things. So anyway, my testimony is last Sunday, Pastor Mitch was preaching on um, surrender being the antidote to anxiety. And I've never thought of myself as an anxious person. It's not I, I've never said, oh, I have anxiety. Um, but the Holy Spirit highlighted something to me last Sunday. And so when he, you know, gave the call for people to stand up, I stood up. And even then I'm thinking, oh, what are people going to think of me? Which is one of the things that he was preaching on, the fear of man, you know. <laughs> the fear of man produces anxiety. And I thought, oh, that's just ridiculous. I want to be free. I don't care what you all think. Um, so, I, so I stood up. Well, um, we, you know, Sunday, the day went by, and then 9.30 that night, Pastor Mitch texts me and says, do you have, like I said, do you have a word for Sunday? And immediately the anxiety began. I mean, I felt it right in my gut the the and I turned to Ken and I said he wants me to preach on Sunday I don't have anything and I just began to freak out and the Holy Spirit said wait a second stop this is not this is not me you know this anxiety is not of me and so I just told him I said well I don't have anything but I will pray about it and right then and there I made a decision that I was going to trust the Lord that either he would give me something for today or he wouldn't and either way was absolutely fine because it's not my job to manufacture anything or produce anything. My job is to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. That's all I have to do. 
that's all you have to do. So the very next day, I'm out running errands, and I'm in the drive-through line, for uh, the Walmart pharmacy drive-through line, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit drops on me. This is what I want you to say. All right, great. Thank you for speaking to me, Lord. And I was good to go. Um, but then my week just got crazy. I've had 14 people living in my house for three weeks. <laughs> uh, we've got a big family, and... Uh, then on top of that, Sarah, my daughter, or our daughter Sarah, had surgery on Friday, and it was a pretty straightforward surgery. Surgery went great. Her recovery did not. And so they ended up admitting her. She was very sick. And, you know, so I'm up all night, um, Friday night in the hospital with her. You can't get much done. Nurses are in and out every, you know, so often. And um, then they released us yesterday, and she's still really sick. She's, she's having a bad reaction to the anesthesia. So like all these things getting thrown at me and I just had to lean into the Lord and say, it's okay. I surrender even my time to be able to plan and prepare. I surrender it. Lord, I will be faithful with the time I, I do have, the little nuggets here and there. Some few nights it meant staying up really late while Ken and the kids had gone to bed and that's okay. Um, so I want to encourage you, surrender is beautiful, and there's so much peace in surrender. It's so much better to live in a place of surrender and be at peace than all this worry and anxiety. So I encourage you to, you know, if you're still struggling, to grab a hold of that and allow the Lord to lead you to that place of surrender. Okay, so what the Lord gave me this morning... And I'm really excited to share this with you. He gave this to me 20 years ago. And I believe that the Lord wants to bring freedom to a lot of people's hearts today. Um, so 20 years ago, Ken and I were living in Union. And we had just come home from the Philippines. And we were renting this little apartment or little house out there. And one night I was sitting up late. Ken and the boys had gone to bed. And all of a sudden, the things from my past began to replay in my head. The choices I had made, decisions I had made that had hurt the Lord, had hurt my life, had hurt people around me. And like waves of shame and waves of regret just washed over me. And that was not something new. The enemy would do that to me repeatedly. Sometimes at two in the morning, lying awake, just feeling, oh, how could I have done that? How could I have said that? You know, and, and beating myself up over and over. And it's like a, a skip in a record. You people my age know what I'm talking about, right? Where just over and over and over and over. And it's like this insidious thing, just pecking at your heart that you, you can't seem to break free of. And the Holy Spirit spoke very clear to me that night, and it changed everything for me. And I believe this is what he wants to say to you this morning, that either the cross was enough or it wasn't. Either the blood of Jesus is sufficient or it's not. There is no middle ground. You either believe that and live in freedom, or you don't, and you live in shame. There's no middle area. 
There's no ambiguity when it comes to the blood of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for you and for me. And so that's what the Holy Spirit told me. And I knew I had a choice in that moment to humble myself and believe by faith that the blood of Jesus was sufficient for every word, every thought, every deed I have ever done. Or it wasn't. And so, but, but to wallow in my shame was an insult to the incredible gift that Jesus gave me and when he offered up his life. And so allowing shame a place to camp out in my life, beating myself up over and over and living with that regret over and over is, is to say that somehow I can pay for my sin. Jesus, what you did was almost enough, but not quite. I have to do something about it, too. And it's self-flagellation. If you don't know what that is, it's beating yourself up. There, there have been um, sects of the, the body of Christ, the church, that uh, have believed in the, in historically that they had to whip themselves and beat themselves as a means of purification and discipline. And that's what you're doing to yourself when you allow shame and regret to camp out in your life. And I'm going to tell you, and I say this in all love, it's a form of self-righteousness and pride. We actually think we're being humble to say, oh, I'm just, I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. No, it's not humility. It's pride. Because humility is coming into agreement with what Jesus said and what Jesus did on the cross and, and just like Mary at the feet of Jesus, pouring open her, her jar of, of expensive perfume at his feet amidst all these people who just scorned her and, and ridiculed her, she didn't care. She had no shame because she knew what she had been set free from. She knew what Jesus had delivered her from, and she didn't care. And in humility, she bows at his feet and pours it all out. That's humility, to come into agreement with what Jesus has done. And you know what the word says about Mary? It says wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. What she did, this act of worship, this bowing before the Lord in front of everybody, this pouring out of the most costly thing she owned, this story is going to go out wherever the gospel is preached. So real humility would be agreeing with Jesus that when he says you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, it really means all. It doesn't mean anything else. All means all. So what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden? Suddenly their eyes were open, right? They saw that they were naked. Prior to them sinning, they had been in perfect communion with the Lord. Nothing separated them from God. And then they, they choose to disobey, and suddenly they see, oh, whoa, we're, we don't have clothes on. And, and shame, it says they were naked and ashamed, and they hid from God, which is hilarious. How do you hide from God? But we all do that. We do. So what was the Lord's answer to their shame? He 
had an animal killed, and it says he covered them with the skin of an animal. So something had to die, there was blood, and he covered them. So the solution for our shame is the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Ted, for singing about the blood this morning. He has cleansed us with his blood, and we are covered in robes of righteousness. Just like the Lord covered Adam and Eve, he has covered us. And righteousness, which is the approval of God, isn't something you can do on your own. You cannot pray yourself into righteousness. You cannot attend church into righteousness. You cannot read the word into righteousness. You can't go onto the mission field thinking you're going to attain righteousness. Righteousness is a gift of Jesus. All those other things flow out of a life that's been transformed, right? So we have to quit our striving, quit our wallowing, quit beating ourselves up, and in in humility, graciously accept what he has lavished on us. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and the earth through this one man, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you don't want to stay in shame anymore. You want to be set free. You need to be free from this because shame is robbing you of intimacy with the Lord, first and foremost. Just like we talked about with Adam and Eve. What did it do? It separate their sin and their shame separated them from him and they hid. So shame separates or uh, robs you of intimacy with the Lord first and foremost. And it robs you of intimacy with others. Because when we live in shame, we don't want to be known by God and we don't want to be known by one another. And the answer is the blood of Jesus. We stop being self-conscious and we become blood conscious. And I know that sounds kind of gory, but it's the truth. When the blood of Jesus is at the forefront, rather than ourselves and what we've done, or that fight I had with my husband last night, or the harsh word I spoke to my kids last week, and, and we... And, and, we don't, we don't, I'm not talking about covering up sin. I'm just saying that we, we don't, that is not our focus. Our focus becomes the blood of Jesus and what he has done. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, Every time, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, meaning communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time you take communion, You are proclaiming over your lives that the blood of Jesus is enough every time. And that when Jesus said, it is finished, when he said that on the cross, it is finished, he really meant it is finished. Hebrews 12 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So Jesus despised the shame. And another way of saying it is he disregarded it. 
doesn't mean he ignored it. It meant that regardless of the shame, in spite of the shame, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Did you know that you were the joy set before him? You were. Your salvation, your being restored to right relationship with God was the joy set before him. And he endured the shame. He bore your shame so you wouldn't have to. So why, why hold on to it? And I'm not talking about cheap grace where we say, it doesn't really matter what I do. It's all under the blood. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about playing fast and loose with the grace of God and his mercy. Not at all. Because what I've done and what you've done does matter. It costs Jesus everything. It matters so much that he emptied himself, stepped out of glory and humbled himself to come here and live amongst us, this dirty world we live in. It matters. It matters so much that Jesus, the man whose eyes blaze like fire, tells us in Revelation, whose voice is like the sound of rushing waters, whose face is blazing like the sun, suffered more than you or I will ever know so you could be free from shame. And I read this quote by John Newton. I want to share it with you. John Newton was the captain of a slave ship back in the um, 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, before England had abolished slavery. And he's the man who authored Amazing Grace, that that song that we all love. And um, the Lord transformed his life powerfully. And this is what he said. He said, may we sit at the foot of the cross and there learn what sin has done, what justice has done, and what love has done. We need to be aware of our sin and what it cost Jesus. We need to be aware of God's justice displayed through the death of Jesus. But we also need to be aware of his lavish love. So I want to take a look at what the word of God has to say about shame. And first of all, I want to tell you, you are called out of shame into holiness. Number one. You're called out of shame into holiness. Hebrews 13.12 says, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Jesus made you holy through his own blood. No other way, no other means. It's only by his blood. That's it. And so I'm saying that if Jesus paid for it, then who are you to hold on to it? Who am I to think that somehow my sin, my shame, my regret is greater than the blood of Jesus? It's pretty presumptuous. And if anything, embracing this gift of mercy from Jesus will actually spur us on to holiness. You know why? Why? 
Because when I understand the depths of my sin and what it cost Jesus to free me from that sin, I'm filled with gratitude and it causes me to not want to bring shame to the heart of God and bring pain to the heart of God. So getting rid of shame and embracing this gift of Jesus will actually free you to live the holy life he's called you to live and that you want to live. Number two, we are called out of shame into purpose, our purpose. I love this scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 9.14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? His blood cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death so that you can serve him. That's your purpose. We are called out of shame into purpose. And if you think your sin has disqualified you, or if it's holding you back from loving and serving God, you need to know that the blood of Christ has cleansed your conscience so that you can serve him. There's now nothing standing in the way. There's no excuse any longer. And this could be from something you did 20 years ago, 50 years ago. It could have been something you did last night. Just last week, uh, I failed terribly as a mother. I got way too harsh with one of my kids. And I went back and I repented and I asked for, for forgiveness. But I, I still felt really broken over how I had spoken. And what does the enemy do? He tries to put shame on me. And I had to just remind myself and speak to my own spirit. You've been forgiven. Your child forgave you. And God forgave you. So you're free. Okay, I'm free. I'm done. I'm shutting the door on that. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So if the Lord knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, and if he forgives you and he's commissioned you to declare his praises, then who are you to say no to that? Who am I to say no to that? You've been called, you've been given purpose, you've been commissioned. Number three, we're called out of shame into victory. I'm going to tell you right now, defeat is not your inheritance. Defeat is not your inheritance. Revelation 12:10 says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. That's the enemy. That's Satan. He's been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The enemy of our souls is our accuser. He's your accuser. If we are in Christ, 
if we have been declared not guilty because of the blood of Jesus, then who are we to come into agreement with the enemy? Why do we align ourselves with him? Come into agreement with Jesus. I'm not guilty. I am free. We've triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and by the word of our testimony. And what is our testimony? That the sacrifice of Jesus was enough to free me, to heal me, to deliver me, to save me, to save my marriage, to save my children, to heal my body. That's the testimony of Jesus, that, it's the, that the blood of Jesus... The te- our testimony is that Jesus restored us to the Father and nothing stands in the way anymore. We overcome the enemy when we declare that. Number four, we're called out of shame into intimacy and communion with the Lord and with each other. And one of the things that I really love in Scripture is how the Lord has shown us that there's no just Jesus in me, like this Lone Ranger attitude. You know, we were meant to be in community. We were meant to know the Lord in community. We're meant to serve the Lord in community with one another. These people who say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church, you're wrong. That's not God's design. It's not his heart. We do know him individually, but not, not exclusively. You can't get to know Jesus as he would have you know him apart from his body. And so we're called out of shame into intimacy and communion with the Lord and with others. And like I said earlier when I mentioned Adam and Eve, they hid. They tried to hide when, they, when their nakedness was exposed. And the Lord wants us to come out of hiding with him and with each other. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Father, through the blood of Jesus, is drawing you to him. And Hebrews 10, 17 says, Our sins and our lawless acts he will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Because of this, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. I don't know about you, but when I have, when I know I have failed, when I've sinned against the Lord, sinned against my husband or whomever, it's not easy to draw near to God with full assurance, like it says here. We're also told in Scripture that we can boldly approach the throne of God to find grace in our time of need. It's hard to feel bold when you know you've blown it. But that's faith, that I boldly and humbly come into the throne room and I come before the Lord and say, I know, I blew it, I sinned, forgive me, Father. And we do that with full assurance. If you've ever wrestled 
with feeling like you cannot draw near to God because of shame, you need to know that the blood of Jesus has made a way for you to draw close. So that's intimacy with the Lord. Now intimacy with others. First John 1 5 says this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we lie and do not live out the truth but if we walk in the light as he in the, as in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin I want to camp out here for a moment because, you know, I, I mentioned that shame interrupts intimacy with the Lord and, and with others. Um, but when you and I walk in the light, which means I'm not hiding, I'm, I'm open, I'm not pretending, I'm vulnerable with the people in my life that the Lord has put there for accountability. And, and I'm not talking about exposing everything to everyone. That, that's not what we're talking about here. But the Lord has people in your life that can see you in your sin and still love you and, and point you to Jesus and speak truth to you. And they're not judging you. They're loving you. That's what I'm talking about here. Walking in the light in openness and when you, um, when you allow his light to illuminate all the parts of your heart, then you have communion with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light means I don't live in shame. And the result of this is fellowship. And that word fellowship, another word is, is communion or intimacy. And so the result is fellowship and cleansing. And I find it so interesting that the Lord puts these two things together because that's how much he values our relationship within the body of Christ. This is how much he, he desires for us to be in community, walking in openness with one another. Another example of that is in Matthew 18, I think it's Matthew 18, uh, Jesus said, if you know that there's fractured relationship between you and your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go be made right with that person. So Jesus would rather, rather you stop what you're doing, your time of prayer, your time of worship, and go be made right with him or with her and then come back. That's the value he places on our relationships with one another. So how beautiful that he desires right relationship, not just with him, but with each other. Walking openly and without shame. And then number five, we are called out of shame into belonging. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And redemption equals ransom. And ransom means I'm paying this amount in exchange for something else. 
if somebody's been kidnapped, what do people do? They raise a ransom, right? I'm paying $50,000, and in, in exchange, you're going to give me my child, my husband, or whatever. And that's what Jesus did. That's redemption. That's ransom. And he now owns you. He purchased you with his life. He bought you back. He bought you from the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of God. He owns you now. You belong to him. And we're called out of shame into belonging. Our lives no longer belong to us. They belong to Jesus. And what greater comfort and greater sense of belonging than to know we belong to him. You know, everybody's looking to belong, right? We see this especially in, our, in, in youth, in our young people. They just want to belong. They just want to be accepted. But it's not just our youth. Can we be honest and say that's us too? We all want to belong. We all want full acceptance. And we have that with Jesus. We belong to him. But shame will get in the way of that. And Jesus is calling you out of shame into belonging. Hebrews 12.23 says, You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So Abel was Adam and Eve's son, he was Cain's brother, and in a fit of jealousy and rage, Cain killed Abel. And in Genesis 4, it, the Lord says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And what was, what was it crying out? It was crying out for justice, right? But here in Hebrews, it says the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So where the Lord heard the cry for justice when Abel was killed, when Jesus' blood was shed, the cry was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for justice. The blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness and freedom. And it speaks that you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Not some, all. That's the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks over your life. I want you to be free today. I don't want you living one more day with any regret, with any shame, that nagging, aching feeling that keeps you awake in the middle of the night when a harsh word that you spoke is just replayed over and over. And you think, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I look at that? Whatever it may be. Or maybe some of you want to sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not there. But that will eat like a cancer to your soul. The solution is the blood of Jesus. And if you are in Christ, if you have received his free gift of salvation, then you are clean. You are free. 
receive this lavish and gracious gift that, that Jesus gave us. Live and walk in the freedom, knowing that the death and resurrection of Jesus was completely sufficient, more than enough for anything you've ever done and anything you ever will do, or anything done to you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Come into agreement with him about the condition of your heart, which is clean and free. That's the condition of your heart. If you are in Christ and you have repented for what you have done, you are now clean. You are now free. No matter if you feel like it or not. We, don't, we know this. We're not to live by our feelings. We live by faith. And by faith, we say, I'm clean. And you know what? If you've got unconfessed sin, repent of it. Just repent. Make it right with whomever you need to make it right with. Make it right with the Lord. And then know that you stand before God clean. If you need to repent of something today, do it. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today. Why? Why do we want to hold on to the chains the Lord's removed from us? Why? What comfort is there in holding on to this baggage, to this bondage? Sometimes I think we make friends with our baggage, honestly. We need to unfriend, to defriend our baggage and accept that, that we're free. So, you know, in closing, I, I want to... I want to read Paul's prayer out of Ephesians. Um, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's something that we, we pray all the time over ourselves and over other people. And this is what Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Meditate on that a little bit. He wants you to know how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. That you would be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. That's for us today. That is not for when we get to heaven. That is the prayer that Paul prayed over the, the, the Ephesians then. And it's, it still holds for us today. And that is my prayer for you. When we pray for the church, this is what we pray. That you would know, that you would grasp the, the love that passes all knowledge. And you would begin to, to know the depth of his love for you. The freedom to which you are called to walk in. Church, it's time to be free. So, if that's you, if the enemy has had you replaying and reliving your sins over and over, and if he's accusing you of what you've already confessed, 
and been forgiven of, if you lay awake at night replaying that awful thing you said or did or thought, if thoughts from your past gnaw at you, there is freedom for you today. If you live with the weight of regret, it's time to let the Lord free you of that unnecessary burden. But here is where it begins. It begins with you and with me humbly accepting this gift of mercy from Jesus and coming into agreement with him that his blood is enough. That his death on the cross was enough for all you've ever done and there's nothing more that can be done. It is finished. Be free. Let go of the chains. All right. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. Father, we boldly come before your throne with full assurance that we stand before you forgiven, that we stand before you cleansed and free. Jesus, thank you for paying the highest price. Thank you for being obedient to death on the cross. Jesus, thank you for enduring the shame and the pain and the rejection for the joy set before you, which is us. Jesus, we can never say thank you enough. We love you, Jesus, for what you have done. And this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break the chains of shame and regret off of anybody here who is living in it. I speak freedom over hearts and over minds. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We worship you. We give you glory. Lamb of God on the throne, we love you. There's no one like you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude and like Mary, that we would humbly pour out our worship and our praise at your feet, giving you what you're worthy to receive. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.